and we will be reading from Revelations 3, 1 through 6. And to the angels of the church in Sardis writes, The word of the Lord who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die. For I have not found your words complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you have not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out in the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has ear, has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the city became known for garments, wool, and sheep, 
and it became a garment center. But it was still known for its luxury independence. Now, <clears throat> all of these letters have a, have a connection to their, to their culture or their city or their geography. The connection with this one, <clears throat> so this city was conquered twice. It, um, on the top of it was an Acropolis. It's 1,500 feet above uh, the lower city, okay? And this Acropolis, Acropolis is like a military spot and a place of worship, big structure. And uh, this was on the top. And twice during their history, once uh, 1,800 years before Christ, or 1,200 and one 200 years before Christ, the city fell because they were asleep. So uh, they had enemies that came to attack. There was only one side of the city that was deemed uh, an army could, could come at them. So they only defended one side of the city. The other three were so steep they didn't even watch. Both times, the first time was King Cyrus. We saw his name in the book of uh, Daniel. Uh, the Croesus, the king of Lydia, attacked Cyrus. Didn't go well. He retreated, re went all the way up to the Acropolis, thought, I'll sleep well tonight. Um, that night they were conquered. Then 200 years before Christ, Antiochus did the exact same thing. So that's the wake up. That's the connection with wake up. We're going to talk about that. A couple other interesting tidbits if you're history buffs. Uh, so there was a temple to the god Caesar. So Caesar, the Caesars were worshipped as gods. There was a temple to him. And there was a temple to the mother god, god called Lydia. And they connected these two. The sun, mother god. And that's where we think that Catholicism adopted uh, the worship of, of mother, son, Mary, Jesus. Uh, but since that time, it went through a lot of decay. But there were some famous people from there. So... The first, you know, even Greek philosophy still influences our culture now. And the first Greek philosopher, uh, Thales, was from there. Famous legislator named Salome. Uh, Xerxes, if you're familiar with the story of the 300, he was from there. Um, and Aesop's fables, Aesop was from Sardis, okay? And the first, the oldest commentary we have of the book of Revelation was from a guy, Melito, from Sardis. So I love the fact that, you know, the, to me, the scriptures come alive when you realize it's a real place, real people, real details. But what's, what's interesting about this church is what Jesus doesn't say to them in, in some ways. So one thing you'll see compared to the other churches, there's no commendation. He doesn't start off with, here's something good, and now let me tell you what you need to address. There's nothing good. No commendation. Essentially, <clears throat> I mean, in a church, well, let me ask you this, church. little dialogue here. How would the world define a church? How would the outside, looking into people of Christ, a church, how would they define what a church is? If I, if I was a guy on the street and I just stuck a mic in, in, in Times Square and said, hey, what's a church? What's the kind of stuff they're going to say? What do you think? Building. Building, building. yeah. A building place and a place people go to some guy talk. Yeah, uh, some kind of religious thing going on. I don't know what they do. Common belief, probably. Yeah, they're, they're, there's, there's a connection, okay? Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe a closed group, a little bit. Anything else? Playing their, G their Jesus music. 
<laughs> yeah, they, they, they play weird music and they're singing to somebody, maybe. Oh, it's a Sunday thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and then how would God define a church? Let's just practice a little theology here. What comes to your mind? How does God define a church? Bride. Didn't hear you. His bride. His bride. Yeah. Pretty valuable to Christ, right? That's, that's my bride. What else? His people. His people. It's all about people. If we look at what God loves, the top of the list is people. Okay? What else? What's a church? Body. Mm -hmm. The body. The body? Yeah. Metaphor of the body, body of Christ. We're all the image of God is, is not male, it's not female. It's male and female. And then collectively, we all comprise the image of God. Okay? So that's good. Good answer. Anything else? Not a right answer. I'm just throwing it out there for a little dialogue. A little give and take. Often we define it as people of God saved by God for God's purposes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the, the church uh, has a discipline to it. There's a purpose for it. Okay? It's God. I always say that the, the reason that I, I wanted to make it some major changes in my life is I believe the church is the change agent of the world. And it's God's plan A and there's no plan B. That's what I believe it is. Um, but so a church is where God is, where the Holy Spirit is, where Christians are, has godly leaders. This church had none of that. Okay? It was, a, it was essentially a, a, a bunch of people playing church. So the, whole, the, the, the power of the Spirit wasn't there, and it wasn't in godly leadership. And they, both, they desperately needed both. The, the, the church was full of unsaved people, and they didn't care, evidently. Now, I'll just come clean and say that when we talk about a spiritually dead church, he doesn't tell us exactly why. So I'm, I'm giving it a go on what I think I see, okay? So you could argue with me. But, so, you know, I'm saying perhaps. So perhaps they denied the basic tenets of the faith, such as the doctrine of salvation, that were saved by Christ and Christ alone, by his blood, his life, death, and resurrection. That is our salvation. Because they had all this pagan stuff happening around them, all this Greek goddess stuff, God, 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 God goddess stuff. And so perhaps they compromised the doctrine of salvation or the deity of Christ, that he wasn't actually God himself. He was a good person. He was a prophet. Uh, perhaps his atonement, his death, he didn't really die on the cross. He, he, he was wounded and then they, you know, he, the swoon theory, he didn't really die. Or maybe uh, his resurrection, they denied that. He didn't really raise from the dead. Those are basic tenets of the faith. But regardless of what we, don't, what we know and don't know, they weren't attentive to the Word of God. They didn't take it serious. And any, any church is in the danger of, of dying. So if we look at a bell curve, most churches start well, they have their best day, and they begin to decline. Okay, that's, that's pretty normal. 
Now the hope is, is when you decline, most churches, what they do is they go back to their best day and go, we need to recreate that. Whatever the music was, whatever the preaching was, that's what we need to go back to. Instead of going back to the beginning with the group of people that put it all on the line to get it going, okay? So it could be that they begin to be more concerned with the forms of what they do. You see churches that, like, you walk in, you sit down, you do this, you do, do this, you wear this, you look like this. Maybe they were too concerned about stuff like that. Or liturgy. Liturgy. I like liturgy. We're kind of low liturgy, so when we do the reading, the idea is to bring some kind of commonality and common language to us, but there's some churches where man, you better follow Okay, or you're out of line. Or maybe they were more concerned about social ills, social justice. They were all about that, and they weren't about salvation, people's salvation. Or it could be there, it was material stuff. I mean, churches build big buildings, and uh, you better not bring a coffee cup in there, right? Because we put a lot of money in this, we're going to steward it, and so it's all about the building, right? Um, but Jesus essentially is saying is, your deeds might be sufficient for the outsiders, but they're not sufficient for me. So it's a, it's a dead church. And remember, Jesus is the senior pastor of every church. He's the senior pastor of this church. But it's a dead church full of unregenerate people. And, and there are a few Christians. There are a few people dressed in white. Now, that's pretty typical of churches when we look around. Okay? And there's certainly nothing wrong with having unsaved people in the church and gathering. There's nothing wrong with that's what we want. We want this to be a place where come and see, okay? and we invite them, come and see, come and hear about the Lord. And and we don't we're not gonna love people after they believe. We're gonna love them before and we're gonna keep loving them regardless. Okay? So so everyone's welcome. But the point was is that that the culture influenced the church instead of the church influencing the culture. And we have, we have dead churches all over the world, right? So when Karen and I went to Italy with Kevin and his wife, uh, I, wanted, I couldn't believe all the churches in Italy. So on every major intersection, I, I, I would say almost every one, every major intersection, there's a church on all four corners. And those churches aren't, they didn't throw them up in a day. Those, each of those took 100 years to build, okay? And they are monoliths. They are unbelievable. Every single one of them. And I went into every one I could. If I, if I, could, if I could peel away from the group, I, I'd run in and check that door and at least walk in and take a look. And almost all of them were dead. There was nothing going on. And if, they, if I got in the middle of a mass or something, there was just a few people up there. And I was amazed at just the lifelessness of these. And every one of those buildings, if you took it and planted it in, in Washington, the only building that would rival it might be the Capitol building. So I was struck with just, you know, the grandeur of, of all the architecture. But, but I noticed that these were ch dead churches. Now, by one estimate that was shared with me a couple weeks ago, one to 200 churches a week are dying in our country. They're closing their doors now. That could be for a lot of reasons. But the life cycle of a church um, is real. So the fact that he says you're dead, 
um, kind of indicates there's no struggle, there's no fight, there's no persecution. And it wasn't that the church was losing the battle. Uh, the battle was already lost. The fight seemed over. And in the letter, he didn't encourage the Christians to stand strong against persecution uh, or false doctrine, probably because they weren't in significant danger of doing those things at Sardis. Um, they didn't present any significant threat to Satan's domain. So they were kind of on the sidelines playing church. So you think about, um, there's a lot of people who don't understand spiritual warfare. And the reason they don't is because they're not in the battle. They're on the sidelines watching the battle. They don't get it. They don't understand we're in a, we really are in a spiritual battle. Paul said our, our fight isn't against people. People aren't our problem. Our fight is against the principalities of the air, mm -hmm. the forces of darkness. There is a true spiritual battle. Some people don't understand it because they're not in the battle. So they were on the sidelines. They were spectators to some degree. They, they weren't always that way. They had their heyday. Now, we all do that, right? If you ask me about my football days, hey, we were state champs, 1973. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uncle Rico, you know. Um, uh, and, or or uh, you talk about parenting. You go back to your best day, right? Uh, or your best vacation, right? We all kind of do that. It's normal. Um, but these people kind of live there. They borrowed that forward. And in God's economy, he doesn't let us do that. That was yesterday. Today is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow, okay? And so I love the fact that this nourish thing, uh, through uh, rejoice, repent, request, then uh, observe, interpret, and apply, and now spiritual disciplines, we're really working hard for, to train ourselves to create habits to be in the presence of God. And, and I think it's key because we rot from the inside out. Churchill uh, said to Britain in the early days of World War II, he said, I must drop one word of caution. He says, for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to ne neglect and slothfulness is the worst of all wartime crimes. <clears throat> overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of all wartime crimes. So, what was the cause of death? What's, if we did a bit of an autopsy, we can't be sure, but I think we can, we can see that they had poor leadership. Okay, now, when I read about all these churches, I'll just say I am convicted as an elder. And I want to just take the time on my behalf and everyone's to say, please, please, please pray for us. Okay? Because we don't want to be this church. We want to be a vibrant church. We want to be a growing church. We want to be a healthy church. <clears throat> so this dead church wouldn't have the benefits of the power of the Spirit. Um, from all we know, the church was pretty well compromised by the world. Um, and they look more like the world than they look like Jesus. So, you know, if Jesus went to your neighbor or co-worker and said, hey, uh, is that guy or that girl a follower of mine? What would they say? Okay. Now they might say, well, I don't think mentioned church or I see them on Sundays take off. I guess somebody told me that maybe they were Christians. 
Or would they say, well, hmm, he's the only guy in my neighborhood who's invited me in their home, or at work that's invited me to their home. Uh, they're the only people who've offered to help me. They're the only people uh, that ask if we would celebrate with them. Uh, they're the only people who ask our help, that we're humble enough to ask for our help. You know, I don't know, but if that's what a Christian is, that's, that's what I see. They're, uh, it's amazing how we can identify ourselves with our, our Savior. So I was meeting with uh, a person in our church this week. I didn't have permission to say this, so I won't tell you who it is. But uh, first day he went to work, on the way, he got a ride home from another worker. And on the, on the, on the dashboard was a Bible. And so my friend said, hey, what church do you go to? And they had talked. Now they know that there's two people in this workplace who, who, who bend their knee to Christ and that they can, they can stand together. Pretty significant. So there's no mention of persecution here. Now, <clears throat> there, in other letters, there's mentions of Satan and there's letters, uh, mentions of um, persecution. This church has no mention of that, okay? So, if you think in terms of spiritual attack, there was no reason to attack them. I think that um, there's no need for the world to persecute sick churches because they don't confront sin. That's one, the, the, the world hates to be confronted with sin. Part of our job, now how we do it, we can do it wrongly, but we certainly can do it right. And standing up to lies in our culture is standing up with Christ. Now, it can get confusing on exactly what that is, but we identify with Jesus, okay? So when we start blending into our culture that nobody can know the difference, we're in the danger of walking down the same path, in my opinion. John 15, 8, If the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. And the reason the world hates a healthy church is because Jesus is clearly manifested. His name is mentioned. His name is named. His holiness is seen through the church, through the lives of healthy saints. His power is seen as it transforms lives. So our testimony before the world is transformed lives. And we speak it. And we speak his name. You should have seen me before I knew Jesus. If you think my life's got it together now. You think something's good about my life? I just want you to know, do we know how to even tell the story with Jesus as our hero? When we tell our story, is he the hero of our story or isn't he? Mm -hmm. So um, this year I cut down three trees in my front yard. They're massive hemlocks. They're beautiful. I hated to cut them down. I love trees. And I just knew that <clears throat> they were in trouble. And sure enough, the first one I cut down, I, I honestly, I, I said, Lord, thank you. Because this tree had about this much, it was massive, it had about that much holding it up. It was rotten from the inside out. Same with the Church of Sardis. Another story of rotting from the inside out. When I was a kid, I might have said this story before, but in high school, I'd go into the high school and I'd look up at the track records and they had them all up on one wall. Ted Wall, my uncle, 1935, 12 feet in the pole vault, 1935. And I thought, man, I'd love one day to, to get that record. And then they just have to change the first name. 
So I go find Uncle Ted. Uncle Ted, I want to break your bull ball record. Oh, really? Okay. It's been there 40 years. Okay. He goes, well, now, this was one year before they came out with fiberglass pole ball poles. Bad idea. So he, but he sends me out in the, in the bamboo forest, pick out a good one. It's kind of like the natural, pick me out a good one, Bobby. So I go out there, cut down this one, pretty good sized bamboo. He says, now go dry it out. Okay, so I dry it out. Probably didn't dry it out long enough, but I was so anxious to use it. I built a pole vault uh, pit in my yard. I had a run. I had, it, it was downhill so I could get more speed. And so the first time I get it, I got all my friends, Tony Berry, Kevin Hannum, John Crow, they're all out there. We get the pole up, we have you know, little sticks and stuff, and pole. And so, you know, I'm not going for 12 feet, I'm just going for seven feet, eight feet, anything. But I come down with this pole and I plant it, I rear back and the pole just bends like a lawn chair. It was totally rotten. So the point is, what looked good on the outside, it wasn't good on the inside. And that's how we can be. We've got to be attentive. That's what the Nourish Book is all about, to be attentive to the inside. Okay, because the outside can look good, but the inside can be sick. So he has a prescription. And part of the prescription is, is like when you go to the doctor and, and part of the prescription for health is it'd be easier, like if I want to lose weight, give me some Adipex, a stimulant drop my appetite, I really don't have to do anything. But oftentimes when we go to the doctor, it's like, eat healthy, exercise, all the things that we know to do, we don't want to do. Okay, so some of this prescription for this church is the things we already know to do. Number one is wake up. So in the Bible, we see 52 times where the scriptures tell us to wake up, be alert, Get in the game. Ephesians 5.14, for anything that comes becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 1 Corinthians 5.6, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. Let's wake up. Romans 13.11, besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. He's talking to Christians. Wake up. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and day is at hand. It's not nighttime, it's daytime. What he's talking about in this verse is nighttime is heaven. That's when we get to rest. This is daytime. Be alert. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light just to, and walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. So it's our choice. You can wake up or you can stay asleep. Number two, he says, strengthen what remains. And we see that 238 times in the Bible. Strengthen yourself. Feed yourself. Exercise yourself. You know, build yourself up. Take, take responsibility for yourself and move. Your strength comes from the presence of God. And how do you find it? How do you find the presence of God? Exactly through, again, the Nourish Book. Spend time with God. Spend time in His Word. Then he says, remember. Remember what you received and heard. Now, you've heard the Gospel a hundred times. Remember it. Remember, go back 
to the days when your heart was soft, when your priorities were his priorities. Remember that. Remember what he's done. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, I was teaching this to the Sierra Leonean pastors. We're, we've, got, we've been going through what we did last time. Um, uh, our, our last sermon series with, with those guys. We're in 1 Corinthians 9. So the end of that is run the race, above my body and make it my slave. Lest after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. But he's, he's, he's saying, take control of your life from idolatry. Now, idolatry could have been a big problem here. And it certainly can be a big problem for us. And when we think of idolatry, we're not thinking of making a little carved image and putting it on our shelf. Idolatry is basically saying, God, you're not enough. I need more. That's idolatry. Now, how serious is idolatry? In Corinthians, Paul goes to, to the Exodus. And he says, remember this? 23,000 people got took out in one day. Okay? It's serious. So he's making an appeal to remember from history for the Corinthians to live. Okay? And the same <clears throat> advantage that we have when God gives us this letter is that uh, we can look at that. Um, number four is keep it, he says, keep it. So what you've remembered, keep it. Follow through, be, be a follow through person. Okay, you know what to do, and you might need help doing it, you're gonna need my presence, you're, need, you're gonna need the Spirit of God, but be committed to it. It doesn't happen by accident. Walking with Jesus doesn't happen by accident because we drift, all of us. <clears throat> so how do we keep it? Again, devote ourselves to prayer. Devote ourselves to the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. <clears throat> For one who med meditates at day and night, day and night, day and night, is one planted by streams of living water. Right? Like a tree planted by streams of living water. <clears throat> We're devoted to prayer. We don't, choose, we don't allow ourselves to choose people not to love. We don't give ourselves permission to choose people not to love. If he puts them in our pathway, it's a divine appointment. Okay? That's who he's telling us to love. I've said before, we don't get to pick who we worship with. God does that. We rejoice and we don't grumble. The sign of an idolater is grumbling. When I grumble, I'm identifying with an idolater. <clears throat> we examine ourselves every night. We train our mind and set our heart for wholesome and pure things. <clears throat> we don't forsake the gathering. <clears throat> we don't forsake gathering. Our, our spaces are DNA, MC, and this gathering. We don't forsake the gathering. We need each other. And lastly, he says, repent. So that was the first thing we did in the Nourish Book, to train our hearts to repent. I'm going to... I'm going to add it to my goal list for 2022 that <clears throat> I think Karen and I, in that morning time of, of, of rejoice, repent, request, was so healthy that I don't want to stop doing that. I want my account to be with the Lord a, a short one. I want him to bring to my mind the things. I don't, I don't want to forget the things that he's saying uh, uh, to me, and, and I just... I just put the fingers on my ears. I want to be sensitive to those things. Lastly, he says, overcome and endure. Some would say the sign of a Christian is endurance. That's a real Christian, one who endures. 
So we looked at the parable of the sower, the seed that grows and it's taken. Um, the sign of our endurance, uh, the sign of our ability to endure. And walking with the Lord isn't easy. I know that many of you have had a lot of tri uh, trials, and uh, many of you are so such good examples of, of faithfulness. Now, <clears throat> the reference to being having our our, our clothes, clothes soiled is just a reference to come, becoming clean to God. Okay, um, and when He says, "I won't block your name out of the book of life," some would read that and say, "Oh, He might do that." He, won't, he will not take your name out of the book of life. He says so. I won't take your name out of the book of life. He's not saying that, but he's saying, look, I want you to come to me in, in real terms, okay? Um, I don't want, I don't want uh, my churches to be full of people who think they're saved and they're not. And then the final verse, he says, he, he, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And he, he's kind of saying, look, listen, listen up. Are you listening? Listen close. He, he says it over and over, listen close. <clears throat> he's basically saying to the church, you're not saved. The Lord knows you, he sees you. Now he sees us individually. He sees us corporately, but he also sees us as individuals. I mean, think about what would the Sunday be like if you knew that Jesus in the flesh was going to be here next Sunday? How would that change your, your prep? If he was going to be here. Yeah. I mean, it'd be, whoa, that'd be different. And he, he doesn't send an angel to do this. He says, I'm coming. I'm going to come. That's how much he loves his bride and how much he loves us. He's saying, wake up, sleepy saints, strengthen what remains, reestablish the doctoral foundation, commit yourself, obey, repent of your sins. That's the message. <clears throat> Spurgeon said of this, he, he was a famous, you can find it everywhere, Spurgeon said uh, of this church, what shall be done with such persons who live in the church, but are not of it, having a name to live, but are dead? What shall be done with mere professors who are not possessors? What shall become of those who are only outwardly religious but inwardly are the gall of bitterness? We ask, as good Calvin did once, or we answer as good Calvin did once, they shall walk in black for they are unworthy. They shall walk in black the blackness of God's destruction. They shall walk in black the blackness of hopeless despair. They shall walk in black the blackness of incomparable anguish. They shall walk in black, the blackness of damnation. And they shall walk in black forever because they were found unworthy. And we don't have to. That doesn't have to be true of us. Okay? We don't have to be them. Jesus says, and we saw this through the teachings of John, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the cornerstone to build your life on. I'm the good shepherd. Come to me. So, Father, I pray that we would be a church uh, that wakes up, that is alive and pursuing you. Uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.